It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Hey, Jason. Hey. I think that we should finally tell our listeners the truth. Mm, About what? Well, I think we should tell them that we don't know everything. (laughs) And I I (laughs) I really feel like we should be honest with them that we're not experts or gurus. Have we deleted that from uh, the the copy on our website? Are we sure that that's ever been on our website? Is it expert or guru free? (laughs) I feel like it is. I hope that it is. I hope it is too, because we (laughs) look like complete assholes if we're making this public announcement. People go to the website and they're like, "It says guru right there." Well, wherever it is, it'll be changed by the time this episode is out. And I think it's really interesting. I think I'm sure that I've used the word expert before, right? That's got to be in my bio somewhere. How about you? Oh, I definitely, I remember specifically when I was years ago reading Twitter hacks to get more followers, Mm -hmm. how to massage and alter the copy in your bio. And they said, whatever industry you're in, if you add the word guru, there were these statistics that showed you would get a higher percentage of followers. So I remember saying, what I say? Oh, I said I said I was a wellness guru, mm-hmm. and even now when I say it, I cringe <laughs> at myself. Like if, if you could see my face, it's like wellness guru. This is like one vomit. time I wish we had our our camera just, set up for this I, episode. I threw up in my mouth a little bit at myself. <laughs> right? It's like so desperate for Twitter followers. It's like I got to call myself a guru so people can validate my expertise and knowledge. I did well, it. I've done it. I've done it intentionally. That's really the theme of, of this episode is that, first of all, I feel like this should be a disclaimer for all of our episodes, mainly <clears throat> because I feel the desire to not offend anybody, although I know that's not possible. But I, I really do want to say it's never our intention to be judgmental to people that are, are calling themselves a guru or an expert. You know, like it's not it's not meant to shame them. I guess that's probably a better word is I'm very sensitive to shame. And while Jason and I are are stating our current opinions and perspectives on things, they are always subject to change. And, And actually, the fact that Jason, his feelings about that word guru and expert have changed over time. Mm hmm. Your feelings as a a listener may change over time. So if you do currently use the word expert or guru in your biography, there's nothing wrong with it. We just want to have an exploration of that. So please don't take this as us making fun of you or shaming you. And with that said, we want to get into the reasons that people may use those words and some opportunities to maybe use different vocabulary, right? And really just check in with yourself because maybe the word expert does apply to you. I think it's possible that somebody can be an expert, right? I guess it really depends on on how niche down you are. Mm-hmm. If like for example, since I use the word shame, I'd be willing to say that Brené Brown is pretty darn close to being an expert on shame. She's been studying it, talking about it, teaching it, writing about it. She's got a Netflix special. Like she is very well-versed in shame. And she's been doing this for 20 plus years. I would say Brendan Burchard, another person, like to me, somebody that's been doing something consistently for 20 plus years, studying it and writing about it, speaking about it. They do develop some level of expertise. I Mm -hmm. think part of my sensitivity around that word, and I, I believe Jason shares this sentiment, is a lot of people call themselves an expert when they're only like a year or two into their work, almost as if it's a way of it's like a fake it till you make it type of thing. Yep. Or perhaps it's a strategy for SEO reasons. You know, if you put the word expert or guru or whatever you want, 
into your subheading or your biography, your description, your avatar, you know, whatever profile. If you put those words in, then maybe for SEO reasons, people will find you. Right. A. Right. B, perhaps somebody will read that description and think, oh, Jason Robel is a guru. I better listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. Right. So there's the the side to it of hoping that people will understand you or trust you. I think those are big reasons people use these words, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think there's a level of, especially coming back to the fake it till you make it thing is, well, if I call myself this word often enough, other people will see this word and they too will believe that I am this thing. We also have another episode that we recorded a little while back about titles. So we encourage you to listen to that one as well. You can find links to that at wellevator.com. <laughs> what did I just say? Wellevator? Corn on the cob. <laughs> wellevator.corn on the cob. <laughs> did I really? That's a really long address. But if you guys put in <laughs> wellevator.corn on the cob, you will probably get a DNS error. Uh, just, or, we may, or we may run a promotion that anybody who opts in after listening to this newsletter uh, we will send this is you not a newsletter. Sorry, a podcast. <laughs> you subscribe to our newsletter via this podcast. We will send you a complimentary corn cob, pre-chewed by Evie's dog, by Whitney's dog Evie. Uh, and each one of you will it'll be unique, unique. unique so I think we should change corn our, the cob. our domain name to Wellevator Corn on the cob. Cob cob. Dot cob. That's also an inside joke for us. Okay, so in all seriousness. You can find the show notes for these episodes at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R dot C-O-M, not dot C-O-B. Is it C-O-B? Is that you? Yes, Cobb? that is how you spell Cobb. <laughs> okay. Back to the serious matter at hand here. You can see we, we, we don't take ourselves that seriously, right? <laughs> and I think that's part of it, too, is sometimes when you hear someone calling themselves an expert, a guru, whatever it is, maybe they take themselves really seriously. Oh, maybe so. there's a bit of narcissism oh, involved so. there. And I... again, that's a judgment. We're not thinking of any specific person here. But well, actually, I will say that while I may not be thinking of a specific narcissist or <laughs> Jason, I really wish we, we were doing a video. I <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding. I really wish we were doing a video behind the scenes of this episode because Jason's making a lot of very amusing facial expressions today that I think other people would appreciate. So FYI, another reason to sign up for the newsletter is that eventually we will be doing more video content and recording most of our episodes in case you enjoy seeing facial expressions because <laughs> Jason has a lot of really good... Anyways, can get back on track... I wasn't necessarily thinking of anyone in specific, but as I was saying those words, I did think of somebody in specific who will be, remain nameless. But this is a person that Jason and I, I don't know, are you thinking of the same person I'm thinking uh, of? I'm sure that I am. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, without naming names or giving any specific details, there is somebody that came up in conversation between the two of us. And this person we'd found out had a podcast and Jason and I were curious about the podcast and we went on to the podcast platform to listen, similar to how you do as well. And a little plug right here to subscribe and to leave reviews because those always make a huge difference for us. So while you're on the platform searching for episodes to listen to, it's always wonderful to uh, rate the podcasts that you like, not just ours, but please rate ours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're on this platform and looking at the title of the podcast, which we didn't even know. And I, I thought, hmm, this name was not what, quite what I expected, but it was the bio in this podcast episode. And, and I guess it kind of surprised me because I know this person personally. Yeah. And there seemed to be a, um, what's the word for that I want to use here? Jason would have an eloquent way of saying this. Is, a disconnect, a gap, uh, yep, an iniquity. Exactly. Yes. Uh -huh. I love that you can read my mind. <laughs> um, yeah, there was like a disconnect between the person that I know personally and then the person that they're showing the world professionally. Yes. Right. And this bio, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Maybe you do, Jason. 
it said something around the lines of being an expert in something. That's and I correct. Thought, hmm. This is my judgment of this person for better or for worse, but I, I guess I didn't think them to be an expert in that subject area. Or I didn't really feel like the word expert was quite appropriate for their level of knowledge and experience mm, based on my definitions of expertise. Interesting. Right? So this is all relative. It's relative to this person. It's relative to the subject matter. It's relative to their experience level. And it's relative to your definition of what it means to be an expert or a guru. Correct? Yeah. And I think the challenge here is that there are no consistent metrics with how we measure or create these titles for people, right? So in this in this instance, if expert expertise or gurudom or an even higher level, which I have definitely a lot of opinions about mastery, there are no set metrics. I think what was it? Um I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember. Was it Malcolm Gladwell or was someone else that, mm -hmm. that, that had the yes. 10,000 hours? Yes. Okay. Which has over time kind of been disproved. It or, has. Or a lot of people have different opinions on and it. And there are people that are prodigies at a specific, say, instrument or art form. So that doesn't apply to them. So again, the, the challenge here is, is what does a person, what criteria do any of us use whenever we call ourselves a veteran, an expert, a guru, a master? You know, And are those things self-deigned? Or are those deigned upon us by others? Because one thing that comes to mind, and I love this so much, uh, I remember hearing a story about an interview with Luciano Pavarotti, the amazing opera singer before his death. And they were asking him how he kept this level of output and performance, even I think, I think he sang even well into his 70s, if I, if I may recall. And he said something about him having the same mental approach to his craft of singing and performing as he did when he was a teenager, just learning how to be an opera singer of, he knew that he wasn't a master and he never claimed to be a master. He was saying that these were things and titles people lumped on him. Uh, that yeah. in his mind, he was still this young teenage boy loving mm. and learning that there was no end to learning of the craft of singing and performing. So he didn't consider himself a master. And that's actually really modest. And maybe this is one of the reasons that word expert, I don't know why I keep coming back to that one in particular. I guess that's because that's a go-to word for people. It gets thrown right? around a lot. It Master does. doesn't get thrown around that no. much. No, and guru Expert also, does. I feel like, is rare. <laughs> True. But that's even a bigger trigger for me. I'm like, really? Guru? <laughs> that's funny because master is the big trigger for me. Is it really? Oh, absolutely. I'm like, based on what? Oh, you've learned everything about, oh, you're a master now? Well, that's the thing. Is, it's <laughs> this level of modesty and humbleness when you... When you say, I'm not an expert and I'm not a master in this. And earnestly saying it, yeah, not false modesty, right. like authentically being like, I have still so much more to learn. And I think we always will. And so that's why it's actually an interesting thing is, does anyone ever feel like an expert? Like, if I, I bet you if you ask Brene Brown, there's a good chance that she might not consider herself an expert because she knows that there's so much more to learn about shame and vulnerability. Right. She even said... I'm always reading one of her books, or I shouldn't say always, but right now I'm, I'm alternating between two of her books, Dare to Lead, which is really good for anyone in leadership roles. And I thought it was just me, but it wasn't, which is one of her good foundational books about shame and vulnerability. And I think it was in Dare to Lead, she said, and she actually often repeats herself throughout her books, so it comes back to similar anecdotes and points. She said that somebody called her a role model and she just thought, well, why am I the role model for shame or whatever? You know, I still have so much to learn and so, so much further to go. And I make mistakes too. I'm not perfect. And I think that that's a very genuine perspective because I think if you come to a place where you feel like you're an expert, you're saying like, it's almost coming if it is from a place of ego, if it is a self-defined word, yes. unlike somebody else, as Jason mentioned, and we talked about in the titles episode, which again, we'll reference in the show notes at wellevator.com. I think if you're choosing to use that word and you really believe that you're an expert, it's almost as if you're saying there's no nothing else for you to learn. You're only at a place to teach. But in my experience, we learn through teaching. We actually can learn even more about a subject area by teaching, especially when we're interacting with people. Absolutely. That's actually one of the the challenges for me doing a podcast is that we don't 
necessarily get as much interaction with people as maybe we would on YouTube. Or real-time feedback. Right. So actually, at some point, one of our goals, if we're not currently doing this, when you're listening to this episode, but it is a plan of ours to start doing some of these episodes live so that we can interact with you. Because not only is it a way for us to connect with you on a subject matter, but we get to hear your perspectives on it, which gives us an opportunity to reflect on different ideas and opinions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of learning as well. And I think sometimes when you position yourself as an expert, you almost close off the opportunities for people to question you, right? And that's also part of human nature. When you're calling yourself an expert, if you are in a place of teaching, you put yourself in this role of leadership and knowledge. And a lot of people will not question somebody who's in a role of leadership. They don't feel like they're as well-educated. They don't feel like they have the place to say something. So you actually, in a way, are disconnecting yourself from other people and you're blocking your opportunities to learn. Whereas maybe if you use a different word that has a similar meaning or you find another way to express what it is that you're trying to say in your in your profile, in your bio, wherever it is this is taking place, you give an opportunity to be more on a, a level with other people and an opportunity to always be in a state of learning. Yeah. Right. Because even even these people that seem to have mastered something, they don't want to master it because then they kind of lose that great feeling that comes along with constantly improving. Right. And, and my definition of guru, master, expert is that it's somebody that's learned everything they need to learn and they've they've covered all the ground and, and nothing's changing anymore. They're just sharing, sharing everything, but they're not improving upon it. Yeah. And I suppose that that might not be what people mean when they use that word expert. And that's going to be on a case by case basis. I think some people might use the word expert, but also realize that they're always going to be learning something new and things are always changing. Right. So who are we to to judge their opinion on something like this? Mm-hmm. I suppose it's just kind of a a general person by person type of situation where, right, like it really depends on who's saying it and the context in which they're saying it and then the energy that they have behind it. Yeah. And then trying to dig into like, why are they using that word? I just got a weird sensation in my head. I had a thought and then I like, <laughs> I literally closed my eyes and I feel like I'm high. This hmm. is weird. I'm sorry to derail this because I have a thought, but I... I um, Again, I, I saw the, the physical change in your no, like, body when you were going weird. through that. It's like, it's like when you first realize you just like got high, like the, like the moment when the highness, like, no, I don't know what is going on. I did not have any CBD. I did How not have do any you know? THC. I just fed you a bunch of Stop food. It. What if I- Did you spike those No, but bagels? what if I had spiked them? Dude, that'd be a weird thing to spike. Have a bagel. <laughs> have a marijuana bagel. Can you imagine? That's a thing. New business idea. Wellevator.com backslash <laughs> baked bagels. These bagels going to get you baked. Um, <laughs> I feel like I just got high. This is so weird. What the hell just happened? Are you able to participate no, in this conversation? No, I am. I just, I'm just or... more curious about why this is happening. Anyway, can't say why. Um, the thing I want to comment on that, right, is this whole idea of what these definitions mean to us intrinsically as individuals and when we deign ourselves with those titles. There's a dangerous part of this process that I want to talk about that I kind of have experienced myself, okay? and. The dangerous part about, say, when we have a year of experience under our belt or even a couple of years, whatever it is, and we call ourselves expert guru master, is sometimes some people will actually find your profile or your page or your website and they'll see it and they will actually ask you to do something or invite you to participate in something because they've seen you as such. And if you have not actually built the knowledge, wisdom, experience, and capacity to deliver on that, It is a very precarious situation, right? If people are like, we want to hire you to speak at this thing and you've never spoken on a live stage before, right? That's an example. Uh, I'll give you an example from my life and why this is so poignant of why I see a a tremendous issue with this fake it till you make it type Mm -hmm. of mentality, okay? Mm -hmm. Is I remember um, 10 years ago, I was not yet even four years out of culinary school yet and I was running a catering business with my good friend, Michael. 
who he lives in Philadelphia now, but we had a catering business and I was doing projects on the side. So I had a couple colleagues of mine that I didn't really know that well. I didn't even know him a year yet said, Hey, we heard that you're a master chef and you're, and like use this terminology and all this. And they're like, so we're having a wedding. Do you want to make our wedding cake? Now I had never made a wedding cake in my life. Okay. This is not like baking a batch of brownies. It's a freaking wedding cake. And so whatever, through the grapevine, social media, YouTube, I just started like, we found you and we want you to do this thing. And I remember the feeling in my body of going like, oh, I don't know how to do this wedding cake, but I'm going to say, yeah. And I, I remember saying yes. And the terror of saying yes to something I had never done before. I essentially went and I put myself in boot camp for three months. I went and worked with a master baker uh, and a raw dessert chef to learn how to do. This was not just a baked cake, by the way. This was a raw, vegan, organic wedding cake. Okay. What in the hell? What in the hell? So I'm saying this because I have said yes to things that I sure as hell was not prepared for and had to put And There's nothing wrong with this because I think I do this in life sometimes where I say yes to things I don't know how to do and I'll figure it out, but it's not necessarily a fun or stress-free experience. And so it's almost like you're being called out on, on exactly, your title, right? It's like, exactly. oh, you call yourself a master? Yeah. Like, we're going to put do you this? to the test. Yes. And, and yep. what I'm saying by that being dangerous is if you don't trust yourself and you don't have the courage to get called out and try and show up as your best, you're going to look like an ass. <laughs> you are. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to be blunt. And so when we use these titles and we don't, again, have the wisdom the courage, the confidence, the experience to back up what we are saying we are, you put yourself in a very precarious position and you need to be prepared when you use that terminology for life to present you with opportunities. And as Wit said, to kind of call your ass out and be like, mm -hmm. oh, are, oh, really? <laughs> oh, okay, master raw food chef, you know how to build a four-tier wedding cake? Uh, no, yes. <laughs> yes, of course I do. I've never done this in my life. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> right? So it, you just need to be prepared for that, you know, and, and on this other thing, and I, I'm on a roll here, so I want to keep going with this. I know that people, I hope that people have the best of intentions when they try and do this, because I genuinely believe that most people want to be helpful in some way in life. They do want to support their neighbor, their friends, all these things. But I see all too often in the health and wellness industries, people will go to a weekend seminar and they'll pay 1997 to go to Guru X's webinar or, or live seminar rather, and they come out and all of a sudden they're a coach and they come out and all of a sudden they're a thought leader. They come out all of a sudden they're a guru. And I'm like, yo, weren't you just telling me about this seminar you wanted to go to? And now you're on the other side of this three day seminar or week long seminar. And you're like, I'm a coach now and I'm a guru and I'm a, I'm a thought leader. And I always, there's something inside of me, my intuition that winces a little bit. Like I'm like, oh. A weekend seminar doesn't make you an expert. Sorry. Mm -hmm. A weekend seminar does not automatically make you a coach on whatever the subject is. A weekend seminar or week-long seminar or retreat in Barbados does not make you anything. Like, I'm just, I, I need to be the truth serum here for a second. You can call yourself whatever you want, but legit, on the other end of that, when I see that happening, I'm like, wisdom experience capacity you you just like one weekend or one week somewhere ain't gonna do it like you said wit i firmly believe that there is a level of transparency and authenticity and respect that needs to be infused into this because i feel like it's like paying your dues pay, in other that's words, it man right paying, thank you for saying that i think that's that. part yes. of it is that i forget Dude. who who was saying this I mean, this is what happens when you listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. I completely forget where I hear things sometimes. No but worries. Somebody was, and maybe it'll come to me as I'm saying it, but was talking about how, you know, in most lines of work, there is a system of paying your dues, of working your way up the ladder. I experienced this when I was working in the film industry, Right. And I remember this happening when I was in film school as well. And for those of you that don't know this about my background, I, we definitely talked about this in another episode, my experience with, we'll link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com as well. Once I figure out what episode that was, we were talking about being kind of jaded by Los Angeles. And I was, or I, no, we were I was talking about my challenging experiences working in the film industry and how they kind of, that's right. There was like a disillusioned experience there. and. 
one thing that I experienced was once I realized that I wanted to be a filmmaker, which was in my teens, I had to go through a number of steps to work my way up there. First of all, I was a teenager, right? So at that time, (laughs) this is before Instagram and YouTube existed, the path to becoming a filmmaker was to go study filmmaking for most people. There's There are some examples of successful filmmakers who didn't go to film school. I think Quentin Tarantino is one of the classic examples. But for the most part, when I was studying, researching, I should say, how to become a filmmaker, most people are saying you need to go to film school, right? Yeah. So, yes, as a teenager, I was had a lot of creative outlets. I was making a lot of videos. I learned how to edit. I learned how to film things. I was reading books, all of the, I was self-teaching myself Mm -hmm. a lot, Mm -hmm. but there was a huge difference between what I was doing as a teenager at my home in Massachusetts versus going to film school and being taught by film professionals, right? So there's the first stage of me, which is the teenage Whitney, who's making things up as she goes along. Now, again, that was before Instagram and YouTube. So these days, if I could become that teenager again right now and have Instagram and YouTube, it would be different. But in a way, I'm actually really grateful that I didn't have that because I found a lot of value in the traditional method of becoming a filmmaker. Because for me, my aim was like to make Oscar worthy films. And to this day, even even despite YouTube and Instagram, most films that win Academy Awards are going through the traditional route. Yes. Right. Yes. There are some people that maybe when for short films or creative films, you know, there's those outliers. But the great majority of filmmaking that's taken very seriously is are those people who have followed the traditional route to get there. Right. So there's a certain level of a paying your dues, b working your way up and see like the years and years of building that craft. I think that. Yes. All egos aside, I have a natural ability to make video content that is perhaps tied into my purpose. So I've I've been experiencing that since I was very young. And so, again, not having Instagram and YouTube, it was like, okay, I can make these videos, but who's going to see them besides my friends? Like anybody that I showed the video to was like limited to five or 10 people that I knew in my life. Or I had the chance to screen some of my films at my high school in front of maybe 100 people, right? Like that was the extent of which I could show things. Then I go to film school and I had to pay to go to film school. And I spent four years getting a film degree, right? So speaking of paying your dues, you know, I'm studying, I'm being graded, I'm going on to film sets. And I remember the difference between my experience as a freshman in film school versus a senior in film school and all of the experience and the knowledge that I had built up over those four years, right? There was a huge difference in my abilities and the things that I learned and the people that I got to know. Whereas, yes, had I had access to Instagram and YouTube as a teenager, maybe I could have shot up and had a viral video, but that didn't mean that I was like a very, like I had crafted, you know, I'd worked on my craft, in other words. And then after, once I become a senior in college, I'm still now going into the quote unquote real world in the workforce. Then it was me moving to Los Angeles. And that's a whole nother world that I'm just starting at the bottom of, right? Is figuring out how to get a job and all of the jobs that I applied for and got rejected from because I was just starting out and building my resume. Why did I not get those jobs? Because I didn't have the experience to back them up. I didn't deserve those positions. Right. And or I didn't have the right connections, right? There's in the film industry, especially, it's about who you know. But it took me years to build those connections. It took me a lot of luck to get some of those connections, right? So had I continued on that path of filmmaking, I would probably just now in my life be getting to a point of really great success. But that success would have been determined by all of those years of learning, all of those years of experience, all of those years of building connections so I could get to the point where I was taken very seriously. And I probably still wouldn't have the title of of master or expert at that point. 
Because I bet you if you ask some of the greatest filmmakers right now or the most accomplished, like, you know, first that comes to mind is Steven Spielberg. He's constantly changing. He's constantly working on things. His movies are evolving, right? There's so much that's gone into his career, which is, I mean, I don't, he's probably in his 60s. I bet you he's, he's been in his career for like 40 years. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if he would consider himself an expert or a master, right? Yes. Maybe he would. And I, if he did, like, I think Steven Spielberg could, has earned that title after 40 years and all of his experiences. Yes. But the other point is that he still makes movies that we don't think are great or or movies that may not be worthy of an Academy Award, right? It's not like you get to this place of mastery after all of those years of experience and learning and you're like, have perfected your craft. You can still make mistakes. So even that, that's my point, like you were saying about Pavarotti, is that he probably still makes mistakes and he has off days and he might not sing something correctly because his vocal cords aren't that way. Or maybe mm-hmm. he's just having an off day or maybe he made a decision and it didn't work out in his best interest. So the long-winded summary of this or the summary of all my long-winded talk here is that I, you know, the film industry and many industries work that way of paying your dues. It's like there's this long path. And I think sometimes Jason and I may get triggered by these words like expert, master, guru, thought leader, all these. If you're just going to think that you can become that after spending a weekend training or a year of of self-teaching or, or working with one coach or whatever, or even if you spent an entire year diving deep into it, you still may not have paid your dues yet in terms of your experiences, right? So you could have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not applying it for a long enough period of time, then again, you're still not fully paying those dues that many other people before you have paid. And I think part of the reason that it's triggering is because anybody who has been paying their dues in the traditional sense feels like, wow, I've spent all of these years paying my dues and this person wants to take a shortcut. Mm-hmm. This person wants to use a word that I feel like has taken me years to earn and they want to use it by earning it over the course of six months or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, in my opinion, that's a very offensive thing. It's not just about the ego. It's also offensive to all of those people. And if you're another great example, and I know Jason has something to say here too, but but uh, maybe you can speak on this too, is we have a friend who is an amazing photographer and videographer and talk about paying his dues. This man is probably, is he in his 40s or 50s? He's in his 50s now. So he's in his 50s, right? So again, there's also something to say about your age and in terms of your experience. And he spent the great majority, if not his entire professional career, dedicated to mastering photography. And then over the past few years, he also has been learning videography. And he, he started off very humbly, but really dedicated. And because of all of his years with photography, he was able to skip a lot of the time it would have taken to learn the videography elements, right? So here he is, a professional who really values his work and has paid his dues and making his contacts and getting published and and learning this craft. And he actually was expressing to us some frustration he was feeling because somebody else that he knows wanted to get advice from him in order to become a videographer, right? And our friend, the photographer, was feeling kind of threatened because he was thinking, gosh, like, why should I be sharing all of this knowledge I've learned over the years to give to somebody who may be trying to compete with me, right? Right. Whereas I have this perspective of there's room for everybody, so there's not really a threat there. But I think I think basically his feelings were based on that idea of I've paid my dues and I've spent so much time and energy developing my craft. Why should I give it away to somebody in a conversation? And mm-hmm. does that person think that that one conversation that summarizes everything that I've learned is going to help them kind of skip the line? And now suddenly they feel like they can compete with me in terms of getting clients, mm-hmm. right? And I can understand that sentiment, even if there's no actual competition, it's more of like an emotional frustration of thinking like, 
I don't want to share everything that I've spent so much working on, right? Like that's cost me a lot. It's cost me my time. It's cost me years. It's cost me money. It's cost me mistakes. It costs a lot to pay your dues in a lot of ways. And I think there's that a lot of people feel protective over that. And if somebody else can like watch a online training and (laughs) try to distill all that information into a matter of hours, it can feel really upsetting. Yeah. I mean, the thing that comes to my mind that I wanted to weigh in on here is something I was reading online. It may have been, shoot, it might have been elephantjournal.com. I don't recall who the author was, but it was alluding to this idea that we live in a society that puts out a lot of content regarding hacks, hacking your health, hacking your life, hacking your fitness, hacking your relationship. Everything's hack, hack, hack. The five top hacks for learning how to be a barbecue master, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, so yeah, I made one like great vegan burger and I'm a barbecue master. But but everything's positioned that way though now, (laughs) if you think about it. Or like I went on Master Chef and now I have the title. Actually, I think you actually have to be a Master Chef in order to get on Master Chef. But Maybe you won like a contest and now because you're the winner, you feel like you're a master. Oh, well, I, you know what I'm going to do since I've won three culinary competitions in my life, <laughs> hand on back, pat, pat, I'm going to change my Instagram bio to say master vegan chef <laughs> 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 to be as obnoxious as master vegan guru chef, <laughs> master vegan guru expert chef at your service, <laughs> actually at my service. The point with this hack economy is that yes. You can learn how to win a Taekwondo tournament. You can learn how to hack poker and go to Vegas and win 50 grand. You can learn how to dribble like Steph Curry. You can learn how to rip a guitar solo like, I don't know, Eddie Van Halen, whatever it is. Like this hack part of our culture, though, is confounding because people will get the result they want. But then they think they've actually mastered the thing was the Mm. point of this article is like just because you in this example come out of a three-day weekend seminar and you call yourself a coach and you book yourself a 30K client, there's this idea that like, oh, I'm the shit. Like, I'm a a great coach because I booked a 30K client. But the point is, it's fool's gold if that Mm. validates the belief in you that you are somehow now an expert or a guru at the profession you've chosen. Because that's actually just hacking it or luck was the article was saying Mm -hmm. that the factor of learning strategy but not putting the time or years or experience into it is not the mastery of the thing. You've just followed a system that happened to work. And so I think that that this hack economy has a lot to do with that. It's like all we care about is the end result. Like we don't actually care about getting good at the thing. We just well, care about like- let's not generalize and say we. <laughs> okay, no, but I'm, many people who follow this mentality, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think there's an aspect of it of, yeah, I just want the result, whether that's you know learning this drum solo or- you know, scaling this mountain or booking a 30K client, like just because you've done, the point was just because you've done it once and you did it successfully does not validate your expertise at the thing. Yes, and I think that that's such a great way to help people understand the difference. So if somebody is feeling the desire to call themselves an expert, like really examine it. Are you an expert? And if so, what makes you feel that way? And what's your definition of that? Mm-hmm. And if you really feel like that's the best word to use, then by all means. But is it that you've achieved a certain result? You know, maybe you want to call yourself like a, a strategizer or something like maybe there's something else that's a better description because This also idea of fool's gold is it's not just about you getting validated by having that that stamp, right? It's kind of like when people love to use, they want that a lot of authors are are after the New York Times bestseller so that they can call themselves a bestselling author. And it's actually in a way kind of misleading because there's so many factors that go into becoming a bestseller. That it's like, what does that even mean? It means that you sold a lot of books, but does that mean that your book is any better than a book that doesn't have that title? Probably not. But it's become this coveted thing so that people can feel validated and they can put that on their you know, resume or whatever. And it's also kind of like the difference with somebody that's an Academy Award winning actor or anyone in the film industry to go back to that. But let's just say actors. You can win an Academy Award by doing your very first film. If you happen to be in a really good film 
and you have a natural talent for acting and you're working with a great team of people that make you look really good, perhaps you could win and beat out somebody like Meryl Streep, who's been doing it for however, you know, most of her life. So does that mean that you are a better actor than Meryl Streep or that equally as good? Maybe not. Maybe it's just a matter of luck or a matter of circumstance, right? So we look for all of these different ways to define ourselves, but it's really getting into the nuances of what you have to offer Mm -hmm. and expressing to other people the benefit. I, I think that's what this comes down to. If we go back, Jason and I, to our our desire to record this episode and and the conversations we've we've been having around these words like expert. I think it's that a it triggers us on a personal level, so it, it felt like a juicy episode for us to discuss and uncomfortable. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and b it's it's something that not a lot of people talk about, at least that I've heard. And c I think it's this idea that you know. We're all just trying to figure out our way to fit in and feel accepted and get the results that we want, as Jason was saying. So if you can look at yourself and say, am I using this word to convince people that I'm worthy? Mm-hmm. Great question. <laughs> right? Am I the right person for the job? Or yeah. is this going to convince somebody to approve of me? Is this going to convince somebody to work with me? Is this going to convince somebody to value me? You know, all of these different things that we're seeking then maybe if it's that important to you, go ahead and use the word. But you also might be inadvertently turning people off. I mean, clearly, Jason and I are triggered by these words. When I see that word, I I feel skeptical. If this is somebody that I'm not very familiar with, then I immediately want to see, like, well, what have they done to, in my opinion, earn that word expert? Mm -hmm. And then in the case of our friend that we saw I think that they did call themselves an expert, correct? That is correct. And there are a few words in front of it. They were trying to claim themselves or describe themselves as an expert in a specific topic, mm-hmm. right? And I remember thinking, gosh, in a way, this actually had the opposite effect on me because I read that and think, hmm, I don't personally perceive this person as an expert in the subject matter. And the fact that they're using that word is a turnoff. And it it makes me feel like, to Jason's point, almost like a fool's gold thing. Like, I almost lose a little bit of respect thinking, like, you know, if you're willing to just throw that word around, then it's hard to trust you because I would almost rather someone not call themselves an expert. Like, that's the type of person that I would want to work with because it feels more authentic and that and authenticity is important to me. Right. If I'm going to trust somebody, if I'm going to listen to their podcast, read their book, do coaching with them. I kind of like somebody who's confident and yet has a humbleness, a realness to them, a la Brene Brown or Brendan Burchard. These are two people I really respect is that not only have they earned the titles or even the idea of an expert because of the many years that they put into their crafts, but they also have a ability to be real, authentic and humble and talk about their struggles and their failures in a way that feels very compelling, that makes them more down to earth. That combination to me is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And again, based on all of those factors, I think it would be okay for them to use the word expert. They've earned it, in my opinion. I think that this reminds me of something I heard a long time ago, which was, and this is not my complete... um declaration that this is true but the paraphrasing it was the three most spiritual words spiritually enlightened words or self-aware words if you will are i don't know Mm. and there's such a predisposition and emphasis in our society in general especially in terms of our professions like i know no no i know i mean i i listen i've been studying this i've been studying the migration patterns of wombats and jungle bananas for 25 years i know about wombats and bananas and their proclivities thank you <laughs> there's this thing of people are just like well i've you know i've been doing this for this amount of time and i know this person and i worked on this film and i went on this insert whatever it is i know which mm. that kind of Egotism prevents us in many cases from learning new perspectives, absorbing new information, having new experiences. And that's why sometimes I don't know is the most honest, authentic, spiritually enlightened phrase where, no, I listen, I know things, but I also acknowledge I don't know shit. 
it also, at the same time. Saying I know, like especially when you're using that example, Jason, I think about the times I've I've um, encountered people who have said those things, you know, and they they get into that place of ego. I mean, first of all, I really don't like the way I feel when somebody says that to me. It, for me, it I feel small mm-hmm. when someone thinks that they know better than me. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just talking about it, I'm like instantly in that place. It's almost like a bit of a shaming experience or, or diminishing. feeling. Yeah, very diminishing. Yes, that's a good word. Is it takes me away from connecting with them because I don't no longer feel like I'm I'm worthy to connect or I, I can speak on the same level. And that might be a bit more of my personal experiences around like a lot of those feelings of like authority when somebody's like in a place where they know better than you or they've they feel higher superior, oh. the superiority oh, element God. of it too. Even jamming it's no, it's, it's like... causing both of us to feel very physically uncomfortable. And Here's the thing is that it shuts off your connection is my point. 100%. Is when, when you think that you know better or it might not even be like I know better than you. It might not be like a measuring your knowledge type of a statement. But perhaps it's like like Jason was saying, you're shutting down to being wrong. It, not only is that interrupting the connection, but my perspective on life is it's rare that I know everything. <laughs> So like we said at the very beginning, and if I were to claim that I I know everything, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a scenario where my ego is, has gotten the best of me and I've I've said, well, I know. And then someone corrects you and you find out that they're right and you are wrong. Ooh. Oh, man. <laughs> that Check sets, you, that you, sets you up for a very uncomfortable <laughs> experience. <laughs> so I, that's another reason mm. I'm I'm very humble in the sense that like, I'm aware that I may be corrected. I actually, it's not even like fully a lack of confidence. It's more just thinking like I am aware that I could not have all the information here. Right? Yes. And this is all a completely relative assessment. Here's why. I'm so fascinated to look because I'm so passionate about wellness and food and nutrition and and healing as you are, Whitney, and probably you are wonderful uh, listener, to look at science books, nutrition books, cookbooks, holistic nutrition books from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and you compare that with the research that is just coming out now, which thanks to the internet, we can access pretty damn near every research study that's out there. The papers are there. Any knowledge base, for the most part, as we continue to grow, evolve, study, research, know more, that's a moving target. Mm-hmm. So you could look yes. at the studies that came out in the 60s, 70s, 80s, or the knowledge base in pretty much any field then, and the experts then had no knowledge for the most part of what mm-hmm. we know now, 40, 50 years later. And I'm sure that in 2050, 2100 and beyond, if we survive that long, fingers crossed, the people that will be considered experts then, their knowledge base will be so much wider and broader and have more depth than the people who are, quote, experts now. So if we look at how knowledge and self-awareness and wisdom and technology works intrinsically, there's no end to this where there's not an endpoint of I know everything about this subject. That's actually going against the very nature of existence. It's going against the nature of existence. So knowing that this is a constantly unfolding process of awareness, knowledge, experience, there's no end to this. There's no end point. There's no end game here. And that's the interesting thing is, does that mean that there's no such thing as an expert or a master? Or is that just a new definition of what it means to be an expert or master? It's almost like you're an expert now. It, you know what it is? It's similar to um, any sort of measurement of us compared to somebody else, which is basically what those words are saying, right? Yeah. It's, it is com- it's a comparison. Like, it's a comparison. Compared to you, I am an expert in this. Correct. And that, first, as I said earlier, that immediately shifts your relationship with somebody because it puts you in a position of power over them in a way. And I think as human beings, we we have a lot of psychological desire to be in places of higher, like hierarchy is just an, is a natural human drive. Or very, very like historical drive. I think we're currently as is built to see life through this lens of of hierarchies and all of that. And maybe that's why we use those words because we want to seem like we're important, we're valuable, and all of that, right? 
So then that leads to, well, should anybody be using those words? I mean, it, you know, it's kind of like, is there a textbook definition for expert? Yes. But it's a very vague definition because it all depends on, on what type of expertise you have. And so I suppose it's just like anything else. As we said at the very beginning, the aim here is not to tell you not to use that word expert. It's just to be very aware about why you're using it and what makes you feel like you're qualified. And I think it's also helpful to think, would somebody else define me, truly define me as an expert if I never used that word myself? Like if I didn't introduce myself or put in my bio, I'm an expert at whatever. I mean, again, I don't consider myself an expert, but let's just say I'm an expert at eco-vegan living. If I didn't include that word, but somebody else called me an expert and then another person and maybe like I got a, a group of people that just naturally were calling me an expert without having somebody else tell them that I was, maybe I am an expert because a lot of people are referring to me as one and I never encourage them to. You know, it's just kind of going through this this thought process with how you're defining yourself and why. The other thing I wanted to drop in here to go back to Jason's point about the dangers of saying I know versus the positive elements of saying I don't know. It reminds me of one of the best things that I learned while working at the Apple Store. So, for those of you that don't know about my background, I love technology, especially very like innovative, forward-thinking companies. So I'm a huge fan of Apple and Tesla, for example. And I worked at the Apple Store for six and a half years, and it was one of the best work experiences, if not the best overall work experiences outside of my own career now, meaning like uh, being self-employed and entrepreneurial. That experience with Apple was so huge for me, not only because of the culture of Apple, but the way that they taught me how to interact with people, the customer service training at Apple, at least during the times that I was there, 2005 through 2012, it was just so, it had such a great, great impact on me. And one of the things that I constantly think about when I or one of the things that comes up in my mind when I think about my experience with the Apple is that they trained us when somebody came to us with a question and we didn't know the answer. We were never to try to come up with it and make it seem like we knew. Uh Apple didn't want us all to be experts. They didn't expect us to be experts. I think a lot of people assume that if you work at the Apple store, you must be an expert in Apple products. And maybe to some extent we were because we are surrounded by them. But let me tell you, Apple technology is constantly changing. That's why I love it so much. It's always evolving. Their software and their hardware changes at least once a year. So you really had to be on your toes in terms of knowing these products and the software that went along with it. And it was kind of intimidating for me at times because even though I loved it and I knew it and I basically lived on Apple and still do, (laughs) there's still so much I didn't know. And I actually uh, started teaching at Apple in front of big groups of people. They had a theater at two of the stores that I worked at and I would have to get up and give presentations, right? Talk about pressure to know and be an expert in all of these things. I had to take tests and I had to practice. But It was a very common experience for somebody to ask me a question that stumped me. In those moments, I had the opportunity to try to make up an answer and sound like I knew what I was talking about because I didn't want my ego to be thrown off. But the way that we were trained by the management as part of Apple's culture, again, at least at that time, I don't know if it's changed since, but at the time that I was working there, they wanted us to say, I don't know, let's find out. And it was such a pivotal change for me intellectually when I learned those that phrase, because it was being humble enough to admit that you didn't know. Yeah. And then it was also taking the proactive measures to go find an answer Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. you could either say, oh, I know and make up some answer, which would not benefit the person you're talking to, by the way. I mean, I think that was part of Apple's ideology was like, why would you give a false piece of information to somebody (laughs) like that could actually be very detrimental and cause a huge customer service issue if you were wrong. But another thing that I see having 
whenever I go to a, an, another retail environment and I get a chance to observe the customer service that you get, it's actually similar to Jason when we went to that bookshop last night, right? And you were complimenting the woman at the bookshop over her customer service. And you said she was very kind. She was very kind. And the person at another bookshop was not kind to you. So you had a comparative experience, right? Indeed. Part of what I see as poor customer service is when somebody says, I don't know, period. Mm -hmm. And they just mm -hmm. look at you blankly. It's not an I don't know, let's find out, which is how the Apple operated or still operates. But it's very common to get one of the other two responses. Oh, yeah, I know. And they give you an answer and you later find out they didn't actually know. That wasn't the truth, which is very frustrating as a customer. But even worse is when somebody in a customer service position just says, I don't know. And Absolutely. they don't try to fix it. They don't try to find out. They don't try to help you. It's just the end. Mm -hmm. So I think it kind of swings the other way around. The reason I bring up that phrase, if I don't know, let's find out. What a magical thing to say to somebody when you're in any sort of learning opportunity or coaching or or a place where someone's looking up to you. I mean, you can show them that you're a real human being that doesn't have all the answers, but you're also willing to find out along with them, which gives you a great opportunity for connection. Yes. The one caveat I think to this response could be if someone says, do you love me? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> I mean, that's also honest. That's also very, it's like the Beatles song. Remember? <laughs> You're asking me, will my love grow? I don't know. I think he was being honest. Like, I don't know. I, it may or may not. I mean, that's that's a more honest answer than like, yes, babe, I do. To the moon and back. Like, yeah. Forever. And I don't know. Maybe. Mm. The answer is maybe. And I think that comes back to this <laughs> much idea. much more honest. <laughs> that we were saying earlier, all jokes aside, you know, when you call yourself an expert or a master, it's very definitive. It's very like... That's just it. It's mm -hmm. never going to change. Mm -hmm. it, at least that's the way that I perceive it. But when you have that, when you don't use those labels, you're kind of opening yourself up. I guess the question then becomes, well, what do you say instead of that? And I think that really comes down to what are your goals and conveying information about yourself? Yeah. Do, do you even need to replace the word expert with something else? Or could you simply talk about how you're helping somebody? I actually really like it when, when a a biography, whether it's long or short, is talking, using action-oriented words about how, what they're doing for you. Because if you're going to read somebody's profile, you're probably just wondering, how can this person help me? Of course. Right? Right. When you say they're an expert, maybe the aim is like, I can help you because I know everything. <laughs> that's almost like what that's implying. But instead you can say, you know, I help people do blank or, you know, like, However you want to phrase that, I don't know. It really depends on on the context for for all of this. I help people figure out that they're not experts. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to change our our, bio, our bias. To. <laughs> we are not experts. We we are experts in not being experts. <laughs> there it is. I actually kind of like that. I do too. I, I do too. I think that's actually. Um, I mean. I, but you know what, like, like uh, the thing that this distills to, to me, right, is I think if people are being honest, okay, and I, I see this a lot in new parents, and we're in the age range where, like, a lot of our friends have been having kids, right? And to me, the ones that are really honest about it, that I feel like they're being honest, I've asked them, like, well, how, you know, what did it feel like to, like, be a parent for the first time? How, you know, how's it going? Da, da, da. And literally, it's some version of, like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing mm -hmm. and I'm literally just making it up as I go. And all the books and all the advice and everything my parents told us, they're like, honestly, it doesn't really apply because you're in these situations for the first time in real time, viscerally experiencing them. The books and the advice don't necessarily apply because you often have to make things up on the fly because of the circumstances and the personalities and the emotions and having a new life there. And I think what I want to say in summary as we roll this out is there's a massive difference between thinking you know something theoretically because you heard it or mm -hmm. learned it or observed it. Yes. And actually living it. Yes. There's yep. a massive gap. And to me, that is the biggest concern. I won't call it an issue or an annoyance. It's the biggest concern I have when people do use these titles 
of expert guru or master is my question is always, have you lived the thing? Have you lived it? Have you experienced it? Have mm -hmm. you tasted it? Have you bled for it? Have you cried for it? Have you won? Have you lost? Have you experienced the myriad dimensions of knowing and experiencing the thing? Not because you read it or you heard it or you saw it in a YouTube video. That doesn't make you an expert in shit. No, I'm just, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going here. It, it, it's, does, it, even it doesn't if you make get you an a certification. No, I'm sorry. I mean, the paper you, doesn't mean shit. You Have can, you lived it? You can get certified as a professional chef. In fact, uh, we'll give a little plug for our friends over at Ruby, which we'll put in the show notes. <laughs> I love no, that I, you just snuck that in there. Well, I, I, this is a very ding, authentic, ding, ding. it's an authentic example, right? Ruby is this fantastic online training where you can become a professional chef, right? It's, it's called Ruby... Plant-based professional course. Yes, exactly. So the aim is that, well, they have other courses besides being plant-based, but we advocate for the plant-based course and you get a certification at the end of their training. But you could go through Ruby and still, and know all that information, but does that mean that you're a master chef by the end of it? No. It doesn't. Because you have to go and become a chef Yes, and you have to get the experience of being a chef and there's a long road. Bef Again, it's very similar to my what I was sharing about my film school experience. I went through four years of film school. I got a degree in film production. And I also spent years before that making videos on my own and teaching myself and reading. So maybe I had, by the end of college, I had six to eight years of, of knowledge. But to Jason's point, I had only begun my career. My career really had not even started until years after college because I had to spend those next few years getting experience, building those contacts, paying all those different types of dues. And so there's phenomenal online trainings that you can do that will give you certifications. You can do it for nutrition, right? You can, there's, I mean, pretty much anything you can imagine you can be certified in online. But until you put it into practice for many years and you get those experiences Jason was describing of of really having some experience something firsthand time and time again in all these different scenarios. In our opinion, it, it does not qualify you as a master or an expert in something. And maybe I'm, I'm also willing to be wrong because I'm not an expert on this subject matter. No. I'm, I'm not an expert and this is, in yeah, being an expert. <laughs> yeah, this is by no means uh, the gospel truth. It's no. just our perspective and opinion yes. in, in the desire to encourage more authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, not just because those are buzzwords, but for real, mm -hmm. like for real. You know what I mean? Like, yo, I got out of the seminar. I know a little bit more about X. It doesn't make me like just really being honest and self-aware of how we are showing up and presenting ourselves in the world. And if that is congruent with ourselves mentally and spiritually for real, like just being the real, you know, just people showing up and being real for all of us. And that's a constant process we're learning. Everybody's learning it. Like, how do I be more real? How do I show up authentically? Yeah, and, and not having this need to feel superior to others. Yeah, or get validation or chase validation right. or, because or I think fall most, into the comparison trap. Most people, we all want to learn something from each other. We yeah. can all, we can be on the same level and yet still learn from one another. Yes. Right? So there is no need to be better than somebody or more experienced than somebody in order to prove your value. It's true. And I think that um, the more humility we can have on this planet, and that doesn't mean like thinking down on ourselves or not, have, but no, literally like knowing to the bone who you are and why you're doing what you're doing and not needing to say it or hear it from anyone else. I think that is a very, very peaceful and aligned place to be, right? Is like when you know, when you show up and do your craft, you know what you're capable of. You know why you're doing it. You're very connected to the intention and the passion of it. You don't need to hear someone go, oh, dad, oh, Jason, my friend, the master chef. Like when people have said that to me, I cringe. I cringe because I'm like, <laughs> I don't know a damn thing about cooking. I know a few things, but I don't know a damn thing. So it's just interesting. I think. Can I just pause when, you for a second? When we don't need that. We don't want and we don't even want it. I think it's also funny, too, when somebody feels the need to give you that title because it's like they're trying to prove that their contact is worthy. Does that oh, make sense? They're, no, they're, right? like, they're actually trying to validate yes. themselves by knowing you. Yes. Oh, this is my friend. He was the, the, the first vegan chef in history to host a primetime blah, 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 blah. And oh, and you know what? He, 
He also still has his foreskin. It looks like <laughs> Snuffleupagus. Why did you say that, Angie? Jesus. Um, sorry, a little bit TMI, but um, but you know it's. <laughs> It's like, that's not appropriate at a dinner party. I know what you're trying to do right now. I know what you're trying to do. Uh, but uh, yeah. I, I know. I see it. Even though we're, we're wrapping this up, that is something that we didn't touch upon, is that some people use that word to describe others in order to validate yes, themselves. Through association. Yeah, Validation by association. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that'll be another episode. <laughs> you know, it's like name droppers. Oh, God. Oh, right? I, it's well, like, can we well, my no. friend when oh, God, we need directed to this movie, you know, we need it's to like, save that. We need to yeah. save that for another episode because that's a whole I'm Pandora's box. <laughs> that is a Pandora's <laughs> box of name, name droppings, <laughs> name droppings. And yeah. I say droppings as a euphemism for poo poo. When I say name droppings, <laughs> that's it. That is what I mean is poo poo. Yeah. Poop. So anyway, on that note, we will save we will save shit talking name droppers for another episode. I, I hope other people like the things that we laugh. Man, if I mean, they don't, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter if they do or not. But could, you know what? They can go straight to hell. They can go straight to hell in a handbasket. I want to know if other people laugh at the things. So if you know yeah. when you do write the glowing review of this podcast for our iTunes, which we would greatly appreciate. We would love to hear specifics like, are we making you laugh? Are we getting you to think? Are we inspiring you to have a new perspective? Are you in agreement with us? Are you in opposition to us? But do you like it anyways? We just we'd love to hear from you. You can also send us social media net messages. So we're at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. As we mentioned, that's also how you spell the domain name, which is dot com, not dot cop. Cob. Cop. Cob, 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 corn on the cob. It's neither. It's not cop or cob. For the next it's three calm. newsletter subscribers, <laughs> next fifty, we're going to be sending out fossilized corn cobs, <laughs> fossilized Nairobian corn cobs, previously sucked by Evie the dog. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Just a little bonus. Get tip. your glass case ready now. That's <laughs> how much we love you. Don't you forget it. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.